Welcome to CII's podcast, The Voice of Corporate Governance. While this podcast is open to the public, the majority of our work is only accessible to current CII member organizations. If you would like information on becoming a member of CII, please visit our website at cii.org or contact our Director of Membership, Melissa Fader, with her email, melissa at cii.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Lucy Nussbaum, Senior Research Analyst at CII. In today's episode, we are talking to Professor Daniel Preston of Indiana University. Professor Preston is a global expert in the field of international development finance and has developed a survey tailored to CII members to gain a better understanding of the challenges faced by institutional investors in pursuing investment opportunities in Africa. Welcome, Professor, and thank you for speaking with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lucy. First off, I know this survey you've designed is a continuation of much of your research. Can you tell us a little more about yourself and your research? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm a professor at Indiana University, as you mentioned. The O'Neill School is one of the are really the best public affairs schools in the world. Um, my focus of my research has been tailored to the sustainable development goals. Uh, I'm not a typical professor in that I spent about a decade in the private sector before joining the faculty and mostly as an investment banker. So I have an interesting perspective about finance and development. And since 2015, I've been really focused on how to unlock this vast pool of finance for uh, the betterment of the world for achieving these sustainable development goals, and more recently focused on the continent of Africa. So this has led me to a research project focused on what are the obstacles to institutional investors and in deploying more of their capital in Africa. So let's talk a little bit more about exactly what the SDG-aligned investment opportunities in Africa are. Can you tell us what these kinds of opportunities are and why they would be attractive to institutional investors? So the SDGs are quite ambitious. Um, there are 17 goals. They build upon the Millennium Development Goals passed in 2000. Uh, what's nice about these goals is they're all-encompassing and that uh, they look across sectors, which lead to a lot of interesting investment opportunities for institutional investors. So When you look particularly in Africa, you see great opportunities in big infrastructure projects, public-private partnerships. Um, The financial sector has vast financing needs. You have a growing population. Africa's a giant market. We're talking 54 countries, 1.3 billion people on its way to 2 billion people by mid-century. And so you have housing and urban development needs, construction, commercial real estate, And with the meetings in Glasgow this week, you have an even greater push for uh, a climate-friendly investment and kind of in line with ESG standards and that uh, renewable energy will be a greater focus on the the continent with, you know, I think a a vast amount of opportunities in renewable energy from solar to wind, uh, hydroelectric, you name it. So as you just mentioned, it sounds like there's a lot of overlap with SDG-aligned investment opportunities and sort of ESG investing. So I want to talk about how SDG-aligned investing may play into ESG investment strategies for, you know, across the spectrum of institutional investors. 
So for some investors, ESG integration is seen as you know, one of many ways to improve long-term risk-adjusted returns and create long-term value. And for others, it's more of an intentional impact-driven investment strategy. Do you see these SDG-aligned investments as playing a part in funds' ESG strategies for either of these kinds of investors? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, if you look at the SDGs and ESG, you know, they were developed with different kind of different purposes in mind, but they're in many ways quite aligned. They look at the long term. They see the importance of sustainability, um, in particular, the ESGs uh, note that the sustainability of investments is good for long-term returns. It reduces risks over the much longer term for investments that are five, 10 years in duration. Uh, the SDGs, if you look at the goals themselves, you see some nice overlaps. So just, you know, if we look at just a few of these goals, whether it's, you know, goal number seven, clean energy, uh, 13, climate action, 11, sustainable cities, eight, decent work, uh, nine, industry, innovation, and infrastructure. We see pretty clean overlaps to ESG-motivated investing. And I also see this as a, a way to diversify portfolios, not just from kind of an ESG standard, but also from a different marketplace where uh, you can find some investment opportunities in Africa that are not is, is neatly correlated with how things are going in Western markets in the United States or in Europe. So it just adds another layer of diversification opportunities for investors that are looking, I think, in the long term at increasing their yield in a risk-adjusted way uh, that makes sense for um, kind of their fiduciary responsibilities. And what would you say to institutional investors who, as fiduciaries, are concerned about the potential risks with such investments and fear that they might actually be sacrificing returns uh, by pursuing such investments? Well, the, you know, first off, I totally get it. Uh, I was an investment banker for a number of years. My job was to help clients tailor securities that met the needs of institutional investors. So uh, I get that they have concerns that risks play a, a big part, and there's also certain attributes that are required in securities for them to invest. So uh, my first kind of in inclination is to say it's important to do your homework. So uh, there needs to be more research into uh, different markets in Africa to better understand what the risks are. Um, I think as more people invest in Africa, they'll see that some of these risks are real, that they have to be understood and mitigated. But some are just perceived, and I think we need to get past that as far as uh, an investor class. Um, secondly, I, I already see institutional investors taking pretty big risks. So it's not that um, they're totally risk averse. You see some institutional investors allocating funds to alternative assets, to private equity, to hedge funds. And so there already is an appetite for risk. It's just better understanding that risk that's important. Um, I mentioned earlier about this diversification opportunity in Africa. Um, and I also see an opportunity to maybe start slowly. So you start with a few flagship investments that are small, that you can kind of test the waters and markets that you better understand, uh, in particular countries that you feel more comfortable in, uh, then you can build out. And so uh, this is all really driving my research. It's to, to better understand, well, what's keeping institutional investors from investing in the African continent? If you can better understand those obstacles, those impediments, uh, we can work with policymakers because there's a big push um, in the development finance community and the development community, as well as uh, more globally about how we can fund SDGs 
and there'll be increasing resources available to create mitigation pro uh, products that can take away some of these risks for institutional investors to make them more uh, interested in opportunities there, uh, to reduce the risks involved, to bring the returns and risk into alignment so you can see a greater flow of funds from not just the United States, but other developed markets, whether it's Europe or Japan or Australia, uh, uh, you name it. So um, this is motivating. Uh, I'm looking for win-win answers here that help institutional investors, that help investment in Africa, that improve people's lives. And I think uh, this is all kind of mesh as well with ESG and in kind of the rise of sustainable finance uh, and helping create a, a world that is inhabitable for not just us, but you know, future generations, you know, our grandkids and uh, grandkids of our grandkids. So that's that's what's motivating me here, and I hope that this survey will will hopefully inform us more about what what we can do going forward. Thanks, Dan. Um, you know, before we close, do you want to give us kind of a sense of of how things are progressing in terms of meeting the sustainable development goals and how COVID has impacted that progress? Yeah, I don't want to leave on a downer, I guess, but this, you know, uh, in 2015, there was a lot of fanfare. It was such an exciting time to see these goals put uh, into words and to see uh, so many nations support um, what these goals really stood for, which is a more sustainable planet um, with goals that we can all kind of get around, like no poverty, uh, ending hunger, gender equality, you know, advancing decent work. But uh, if you follow, the SDGs since 2015, progress was slow. You saw some progress, but not in the way that was intended when these goals were drafted. And when the pandemic hit, it just really hit hard, especially in the developing world. And we saw this in particular in Africa where financing really dried up. You had diversion of resources to help mitigate the effects of COVID-19. And as a result, you saw less investment towards these goals. And so uh, when these goals were passed back in 2015, the, uh, the United Nations put an estimate at the price tag and they found that uh, in developing countries alone, there was a gap, a financing gap of about $2.5 trillion per year. So it's a giant gap. Uh, but if you look at the goals themselves, there is some language addressing how to fill it. And when you look at rhetoric of the people who drafted these goals and how the United Nations approached them after, it really started to focus on private finance. This language of mobilizing additional finance became a mantra. And it really hasn't come to fruition. And then COVID happened and the OECD has now come out with numbers that put the gap now at $4.2 trillion per year. So uh, they saw in developing countries uh, a massive gap appear and the situation is now worse today than it was just a year and a half ago. So it's not um, a great way to end our conversation, but I think it also inspires a call to action that there are great opportunities for investment in the continent, and there's a great need for external capital to finance the development of a continent that really is what I would say is the kind of the last great uh, frontier for investors in the world, that uh, the investors to get this right uh, will be rewarded. They'll have great returns and hopefully good development outcomes that result from their investments. So I'm hoping for kind of a win-win scenario as we exit the, this COVID-19 pandemic, as we hopefully strive after these negotiations in Glasgow for a more sustainable future. Um, so I, I see optimism here, but I'm also pragmatic. And I think this research is so important 
to better understand what we need to do and how institutional investors can be a part of the solution. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Preston. Uh, before we sign off, do you want to tell listeners how they can reach you um, and access this survey that has also been posted in CII's Governance Alert newsletter? Yeah, absolutely. Please you know, feel free to reach out to me. I, I have a, a web portal. If you just search on Google, Daniel Preston, Indiana University, you can quickly find my faculty bio. You can write me an email at prestond at indiana.edu. Again, that's on my bio as well. Um, you know, most of all, just uh, I'd like to engage you. So even if you don't feel like filling out the survey, if you want to just engage with me to have a conversation about uh, your interest in investing in Africa, what's keeping you from doing it. Um, you know, my goal there is to, to advocate for um, policies that help provide more investment opportunities. So it's really looking for these win-win solutions. I, I encourage anyone who's listening to reach out to me. Uh, and I, you know, I wish you the best going forward. And I hope we can uh, come back next year with some some progress, with some real data that I can share with the international community. Great, thank you so much. Um, you can also reach me for listeners at lucy at cii.org if you have any questions. That will conclude our podcast episode today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.